because the motorcycle sales have been declining in certain regions, Yamaha is really focused on what can the next kind of 50 to 100 years of Yamaha look like and what do we need to invest in today. Anish Patel is Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer at Yamaha Motor Ventures, the Silicon Valley-based CVC unit of Japan-based motorcycle manufacturer Yamaha Motors. I'm Fernando Moncada, and I had the pleasure of sitting down for a conversation with Anish at last month's GCVI Summit in Monterey, California, and really enjoyed listening to him speak about the really eclectic nature of Yamaha Motor Ventures' investment themes, which reach far beyond just motors and are intended to help the parent company get set for the future. We also speak about the recent transition in leadership at the firm earlier this year, the specter of an economic downturn on the horizon, and the two new funds that Yamaha Motor Ventures has in store, namely the newly announced $100 million sustainability fund and the upcoming second exploratory fund, which is set to launch later this year, as well as how each of the funds will have a slightly different focus than the firm's existing vehicle, including a stronger focus on software, fintech, and insurtech. Don't forget to like and share this episode and subscribe to the Global Venturing Review to keep up with the exciting speakers we've got lined up in the future. Here we go. So we're here with Anish Patel of Yamaha Motor Ventures at the GCVI Summit in Monterey. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks. Like uh, like we were saying uh, earlier before the interview, usually these are done, you know, the interviews because we're based in London, usually they're done uh, virtually. So it's really nice to be able to actually sit across from you and, and be able to, to, to speak face to face. I suppose we could start by telling me a bit about yourself. You know, you became COO and MD of Yamaha Motor Ventures earlier this year before which you became a partner at the unit in late 2019. Tell us a bit about how you got here and what it's been like to lead the investment team. Yeah, I got into CBC at General Motors and joined the GM Ventures when, when they founded the group in 2010. And so I've been doing venture investing for over a decade now through a variety of roles, you know, starting off at GM Ventures. Then I helped Shanghai Automotive, SAIC, launch their venture capital fund in in the bay area and then like you said in in late 2019 joined uh yamaha motor ventures as as a partner leading our mobility investing it's been great i've really enjoyed it i've enjoyed my time at yamaha what's been great is the leadership is super forward thinking they're giving us a lot of autonomy to try a number of different things and invest in a number of different verticals just even outside of the mobility sector so it's been a great opportunity to work for Yamaha, and I'm not sure if you've seen the recent announcements, but we've lost, launched a sustainability focus fund for $100 million, and then in Q4 of this year, we'll launch our second exploratory fund for another $100 million. So we'll be investing out of three funds and, and looking for a number of early stage investments. Great. I definitely want to get back to the, to the two funds that you just mentioned, the sustainability fund and the, the, the second early stage fund down the line. But, you know, Yamaha Motor Ventures, it was set up in, in 2015, capitalized, if I'm not mistaken, to the tune of uh, $450,000 at the time. And it's obviously quite a bit bigger now. Can you kind of walk us through that, that growth journey over the past kind of seven years or so? Yeah. So I'm not as familiar with those early investments. Some of them were from the balance sheet as they were putting the group together. And then, you know, over time, the team has changed. We've had people move on to other better opportunities or other roles. And so we've had to really restructure the team and build it out. We've done a, a great job of focusing on individuals with venture experience or banking experience and, and really kind of develop the bench, I think, in a, in a positive way. 
I think early on, we did have a, a number of deals that came from the balance sheet, not from a fund. I think we started really investing from the fund, the early stage $100 million fund in, in early 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how's the team structured currently? So the team is relatively small. We have right now, we have two, two partners. Well, let me back up for a second. So we have a CEO who manages the group and who's also an MD. And then we have two partners, or sorry, myself, who's an MD and a partner that manages that our ag investments. Then we have two principals. One principal is focused on health tech investing. The other one's focused on mobility as well as European deals. And then we have two senior associates that are across all the verticals. And then we have one associate who's just strictly focused on our sustainability fund. Both yourself and um, and the CEO, Kayonishi, entered into your current roles around the same time, if I'm not mistaken, at the beginning of this year. How, how's that transition been? Uh, it's been great. So, you know, we were getting Kay up to speed in Q4 of last year. So he could hit the ground running as he as he entered into the role here in January of this year. It's been great having Kay on, on the team. He's super forward thinking. He's always ready to try new things. He's ready to push the envelope. Our previous CEO, Jim, is also involved. He's still the chairman of the venture group. So he also sits on our IC with Kay and myself. So it's been great having having both Jim and Kay involved. They completely understand what needs to be done from the venture standpoint, but also how to invest and be a good investor in Silicon Valley. Well, to, to your point about pushing the envelope, there, there, there seems to be a, a lot of envelope to be pushed because, you know, while many would perhaps associate Yamaha Motors with, well, motors and, and specifically motorcycles, that's, that's not at all the only thing that you invest in, right? You also, I mean, you look at uh, focus areas such as automation, robotics, wellness and health, agriculture, AI, uh, data analytics, drones, to name a few. Mm-hmm. Where do those kind of various strands of focus come from? And, and what would you say would be the connecting thread between them? So I think when we established the fund, the early stage fund, the primary focus was to focus on early stage kind of C to series A companies to focus on horizon three. So to pivot mm-hmm. out of existing business units or work on new business units that Yamaha could eventually form or create for the future. Because the motorcycle sales have been declining in certain regions, Yamaha is really focused on what can the next kind of 50 to 100 years of Yamaha look like? And what do we need to invest in today? So when we look at things like agriculture, that's a huge focus area for us. We're investing heavily in that space, uh, not only on the fund, but off the balance sheet as well. And we've made a number of investments and the plan eventually is is to form an, an ag business unit. So that could be another area for Yamaha to kind of broaden its horizons. And then our health tech investment comes from, or our health tech investing comes from kind of an existing business unit in our corporate headquarters that's focused on cell handling. And so we're looking to also broaden that business unit and the areas and ideas related to health tech. It also has to do with the aging population in in Japan. And so we're also looking for technologies that can kind of enhance it or make the the aging population, I guess, less strenuous on on the, the Japanese system. Broadly speaking, how would you characterize the the CVC's relationship with 
the the mothership in terms of strategic alignment, uh, autonomy, et cetera. Do, do you see yourselves as a, a kind of tool for bringing in innovation outside of the parent's current core business? You know, to, to what extent are you something of a of a almost like an exploration unit for the next thing that Yamaha Motors might be interested in getting involved in? Yeah, so we we look at it from a number of different angles. So just when we're investing from the fund perspective, we don't require any of our startup companies or portfolio companies to sign any commercial agreement mm-hmm. alongside our equity investment or our debt investment. So we kind of have full autonomy on that piece of it. What we do tell startups, because they're so early and in, in the stage that we're investing in, is that we tell them, look, you know, when they're ready and they have the bandwidth and they have the capacity, we're happy to engage our teams uh, globally to help, you know, w- in whatever area we can help with. We have recently kind of started a new program where we're bringing engineers from Japan to help our portfolio companies, whether it be in big data analytics or just mechanical engineering or electrical engineering. Because we've noticed some of our portfolio companies losing talent to the likes of Amazon and Google or Facebook that can pay double or triple the salaries. And so we're trying to bring some of our engineers to help our portfolio companies during this kind of talent gap or as they're going through the hiring process. The other point is if we are looking at companies we decide not to invest in, we still show them to our IC members and other members within the Yamaha kind of ecosystem and Yamaha business units so they can learn about new technologies and new innovation that's happening. So it's not always that we need to make an investment. We do share a lot of the deals and portfolio, not just the portfolio companies, but new investments we see as well. So how do you assess the strategic success of an investment? So when we're measured on the strategic success, it's mostly focused around Did we engage our business units? Was there a project started? And I think that's where we kind of end it. It's not that the technology needs to be implemented in our motorcycles or boats. Mm. It's mostly around, was a project started? Where is the project today? What, What does it look like? We know a lot of the times we can't lock up these portfolio companies or these technologies right out of the gate with any sort of exclusivity. But if there is a path to commercialization in the future and we try to make it more near term, then we try to we view that as successful as well. So it's not always that we're looking for, you know, production, you know, technologies that can go right into production immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a kind of technologically speaking, tip of the spear almost mm-hmm. uh, for Yamaha Motors, how do you go about assessing risk? Did you mean risk of the portfolio companies or the technology or? Yeah, yeah, but like the yeah, technology risk, I suppose, is, is, is the main one. But then, yeah, market risk as well. So when we're, because we invest so early, we're, we're anticipating there to be a lot of technology risk. Mm-hmm. I think where, where we view the risk kind of our technologies that have less risk is when we invest off the balance sheet. So we do have the ability to invest off the balance sheet. And when we invest off the balance sheet, there's more testing and trials of the technology before we actually write the check. So that from our standpoint, the technology is either de-risked or there might just need to be some slight modifications or enhancements before we put it into production. So there's two ways we look at it. One is if we're investing from the fund because it's seed series A stage, we 
are assuming there's going to be a lot of technological risk. It's not going to be mm -hmm. easy. There's going to need to be some changes, and that's why we're trying to get some of our engineers involved early to help kind of alleviate some of that risk. And then from the balance sheet, when we invest, we're just anticipating just some slight modifications to a technology, and it could be put into production fairly quickly. You say uh, C to Series A, but you also kind of invest at Series B as well, right? So C to Yeah, so we can invest in terms of Series B when we're investing out of our sustainability fund. I think we're changing the thesis there in terms okay. of what stage we're investing in because some of us have some battle wounds from, you know, clean tech 1.0. And right. so we know that getting some of these sustainable technologies or clean technologies actually into production, into the market require a lot of testing and validation. It's not simple. And so we're taking a more kind of conservative approach that we do want to see probably a more product market fit validation before we invest. So we'll invest in, in B or higher. If we do see something compelling early and, and it has kind of de-risk from a technology standpoint, we may invest in, C, in Series A. Well, moving on to the sustainability fund, which was just announced earlier this week, though it had been talked about for a while since last year, really, I believe. Will YMV be in charge of that as well? Yeah, our venture group is in charge of the sustainability fund. We've already started looking at a number of deals where we're excited to, to have the opportunity. I think just like many other big corporates and other big private equity funds as well are investing in sustainability in a, in a big, big way. Ours is similar to theirs, you know, focusing on decarbonization, a circular economy, just, I think, different ways to make our products environmentally friendly. This is a 15-year fund, right? Yeah, so we, we broaden the, the horizon on that because of what I mentioned, you know, it takes time to get these technologies mm -hmm. into the market Certainly. and whether there's, you know, we're also assuming a very conservative liquidity kind of horizon as well. So I think that's why we extended the life of the fund in the event that these companies continue to do well. Like I said, we can also pull capital from the balance sheet if we don't have reserve capital left in the fund. So we can always use balance sheet capital. And it, that's a $100 million fund. Is it single LP? Is it all from, from Yamaha? Yeah, all of our funds are single LP and all huh. from our corporate in Japan. And strategically, what, what kind of, um, you mentioned some of the sectors, obviously decarbonization, circular economy. What about uh, geographically and, and at stages? Yeah, so out of all of our funds, we invest globally. So huh. we're trying to do more investments in Europe and in Asia, but because Due to COVID, we had travel right. restrictions and it's just been more difficult. But now, as things are opening up, we're starting to travel more to Europe as well as back to, to Asia to see different startups in those regions. And we're hoping to invest there as well. What does your kind of exit strategy more broadly look like? So in terms of exit, I think because we invest early out of the exploratory fund, the current fund we're investing out of, we're anticipating at least another probably four to five years mm -hmm. for there to be any sort of liquidity event, but it could happen faster. I think with the up and coming or future recession, we're anticipating it to slightly take longer as we've seen kind of venture funds conserve capital or tell their portfolio companies to start conserving cash to get through the next kind of 18 to 24 months. So. 
We're taking more of a conservative approach now due to market conditions, but I think prior to this, we were assuming liquidity events between four to five years out. Okay, yeah, well, there does seem to be a, one of the running themes of, uh, of, of the past couple of days at the event is this kind of black cloud of, of the recession coming, but, but hopefully there'll be a pretty robust uh, resilience to that. Uh, yeah, we, I think we're, we're hoping it's just a small blip and, and, you know, the global economy as well as the U.S. economy recovers and rebounds quickly. But again, it's pending. We're kind of all expecting the worst. We just don't want it to be like 2008, right? mm-hmm. uh, a complete kind of reset. So hopefully it's just a blip and it. it's a slight downturn and everything picks back up. Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, it's not all bad news on the horizon. You have a, a second uh, fund coming out as well. Is it a successor to the to the exploratory fund? Yeah, so we do have a successor to the exploratory fund coming out in October of this year. It, it's another $100 million. I think we're going to take a broader view on things. We will start investing in fintech and tech. Mm-hmm. We will stick to some of the original kind of focus areas around mobility, health tech, and, and ag tech. But we are adding fintech and tech to our thesis as well. Strategically, other than the focus areas, will it remain kind of broadly the same as the first one? It will. I think it will remain the same. We will in- increase the size of the team because we already have 19 investments out of the existing fund. And so as we continue to invest out of the sustainability fund and then out of the second exploratory fund, we'll need to broaden the team. I think we're taking a slightly a different approach in the second exploratory fund. We may do a mix of, you know, seed and series A stage deals, but a few growth deals in there as well. We probably might do two or three growth deals out of the, the second exploratory fund. So we will mix it, unlike the existing exploratory fund. Is the existing one fully deployed at this point, or have you still got some dry powder to, to play with? We've got $7 to $8 million of dry powder in the existing exploratory fund, yeah. We're looking at closing, I think, in the next three months, we're looking to close another three or four investments. And how many total investments do you see coming out of the second one? I think we're thinking about a similar uh, portfolio for the second fund, probably 15 to 20 investments out of the second exploratory fund. We're thinking in terms of the sustainability fund, maybe something less, probably somewhere between 10 to 15 because we will be investing later stage and writing mm-hmm. bigger checks. So it all depends on kind of the deals we see, the the quality of the deals, the quality of investors we, we're investing with. So there's a lot of metrics in there now. We're expecting, you know, some of the valuations to come down, especially for the second exploratory fund. So we may be more opportunistic and, and we, we may set the bar a little bit higher as we are expecting an increase in deal flow. So we're kind of right now redoing some of our metrics for how we're evaluating startups for our second exploratory fund. And is that kind of dip in valuations downstream of the economic conditions? I think so. So because we're already seeing some of the the startups from our standpoint, they're more flexible on valuation. So we're anticipating valuations to be a little more reasonable than what they've been in over since the last kind of 18 to 24 months. And so I think that's why we're trying to increase or we're trying to reset on the metrics and the way we evaluate startups as they come in for the second exploratory fund. I think the bar will be set 
fairly high this time around. We'll probably want to see a substantial probably product market fit, substantial TAM, platform technologies. It will be more of a software-driven fund and less of a hardware-driven fund on the exploratory fund, too. And what uh, kind of implications does that have for things like due diligence? From a due diligence perspective, I don't think it'll really change. I think our team right now is really strong in, in evaluating things from a financial perspective and really doing a lot of diligence around the competitive landscape, as well as digging in on kind of the, the long-term profit margins related to technologies. And so I'm, I'm not expecting any change in the way we do diligence. I think we'll be looking for more growth metrics as opposed to kind of early stage metrics. Right, right. And you guys haven't um, shied away from from leading rounds, right? You've, you've led your fair share of rounds. So if you look at um, Verge Ag, Vexa, Cred R, Canvas AI, to name a few, mm-hmm. I think you co-led uh, Ride Panda as well. Those yeah, that's right. In that yeah. One. Is, is leading rounds typically what you set out to do and you know, what boxes do the startups need to tick for you to to want to be the biggest investor and take the biggest chunk out of a certain round? Yeah, so I, I don't think we set out always to lead rounds. I think if we really like a management team, we really like a technology. So if we like both of those, and, and historically when we've liked both the management team and the technology and we see a strong product market fit, we see kind of a strong a need in the market for whatever the technology may be, and it's a more platform kind of software play, we will lead the round. I think the next few deals we're doing, we're not leading. We are following a, a strong group of investors. So we can do both. I don't think we're always set out or, or set on leading rounds. We, we're happy to follow as long as our kind of ownership percentages are met and we get kind of our observer rights and information rights. Usually we're pushing to get the major investor rights as well in the financing documents. So as long as we can get those kind of thresholds and, and criteria met, we're happy to follow around. What, what's the typical ownership threshold you like to, to meet? So our, our typical ownership percentage is anywhere from 7 to 10%. When we are investing from the, the early stage fund currently, the exploratory fund, a lot of times that's the big gating item is that we do see stronger investors in a deal, but we're not able to get our ownership percentage or we're not able to get our observer rights. So we're always targeting that. But if the deal is good, we have some flexibility around that. And what makes you uh, pull the trigger on a follow-on? We followed on in all of our companies so far, whether they be bridge rounds or new equity rounds. I think what we do is we want to support the companies as best as we can. If the companies have done a reasonable job or they've been trying, I know the last kind of 18 to 24 months has been difficult due to COVID. We're anticipating a a tight kind of fundraising environment coming up. If we think that the team has done a reasonably good job and they they just need the capital to kind of weather the storm, we're happy to, to continue to follow on. Again, you know, we want to be extremely supportive to all of our companies. So we, we've done either notes or equity financings to kind of help them get through kind of this anticipated downturn. If we're kind of tapped out from the fund side, we will use the balance sheet to continue to follow on. I think we're continuing to to monitor all of our companies closely, especially over the next year or so to see how they're performing. We're assuming, like all of us in, in CVC, that our companies may struggle slightly, but we're hoping that they're rebound fairly quickly. 
Are there any focus areas that you're looking at in the existing fund that perhaps feel that there wasn't enough opportunity at the time to kind of delve into as deep as you would have liked that you want to explore more with the, with the new one? So with the new one, I think some of the areas we want to dive into is supply chain and logistics, take a deeper dive into electrification out of the new exploratory fund, and that has overlap with the sustainability fund as well. Mm -hmm. We are also going to dive into fintech and insure tech in a big way as we're starting off a subsidiary company focus on, on financing. So we're looking to help that team out as well. So I think those are the kind of key areas we'll be looking at more closely over the next kind of year or so. We also will be looking closely at health tech investing and, and the best ways to kind of capitalize in that market as well. What was the thinking behind making the sustainability fund its own entity as opposed to folding in those investments into the exploratory fund? I think we just wanted to make, I think from a corporate level as well as from the venture unit standpoint, I think we wanted to differentiate those investments because we know it will take a longer time horizon to actually implement those technologies in the market. And so if we mixed in the sustainability-focused startups with our early-stage startups, I think it requires a different skill set, a different time commitment. I think some of our sustainability investments will have a closer tie to our parent, and some of the early-stage investments we've made of the existing exploratory fund, their projects are at different phases with our headquarters. So we didn't want to mix the two, and we know that with different management teams, it requires a different time commitment. Different stages require different time commitments. Broadly speaking, what do you feel that corporates can do a better job of or, or do that they're not currently doing to support their CVCs and the broader innovation ecosystem? Not not specifically Yamaha, but you know, just writ large. Obviously, the broader ecosystem of CVCs, I think the more help we can provide startups from a technical perspective, whether it be engineering talent or software talent, I think that is probably a lot of what would be beneficial to these startups is providing experienced engineers to these startups. I think that piece of it would be really crucial, especially in the early stages. I also do think whatever relationships a CVC can bring, whether it's with other corporates or other institutional funds, I think that can also be beneficial. So if a CVC can bring relationships to other large corporates that can bring other experience to a board or to the investor base, I think that's really helpful to, to startups. Great. And when what's next for you? You know, what's the pipeline looking like at the minute? You know, not, not including the, uh, the funds themselves. Or, well, you said you already had your eye on a few potential investments for the sustainability fund. What are you hoping to see in the coming year or two? Yeah. So we're, we're looking at more decarbonization technologies recycling technologies out of the sustainability fund, as well as electrification. That's a big area for us related to our sustainability fund. Out of the existing fund, we're looking closely at supply chain and logistics as well, fintech. So we're going to make investments in those kind of big areas here, even in the next three to four months. I think that's that's on the, the short-term horizon. The long-term is, is really setting a, a more comprehensive strategy for the second exploratory fund. And, and really, if, if the market conditions have changed dramatically by October, then we may have to reassess things. So that's kind of the long-term vision as we're kind of heading into to 2023. 
And where where in fintech were you kind of looking? Were we talking about payments, kind of digital assets? Uh, what are we talking? I think we're looking more broadly at fintech right now, and we'll determine along with some of our partners and in, in, in the U.S. here, out of our headquarters here in the U.S. as to where they want to play. We're kind of working out the strategy right now with them as to what's more important to them. And as we kind of go forward here, we will we, we will start shaping how we want to invest that the the second exploratory fund in the fintech verticals as well as insure tech. Great. Well, I, I look forward to seeing uh, what you guys do. And Anish, it's been great pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for taking some time away from the festivities, as it were, to come speak to us and, and come on the show. I really appreciate it. And the very best of luck for you in uh, deploying the new funds. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on. That was it for today's episode of the Global Venturing Review. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to not miss out on any of the future chats we've got lined up with some really interesting CVCs from a wide range of sectors. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production, whose great work you can check out at inearproduction.com. And our intro music is by Kevin McLeod and a Creative Commons license. We'll be back again with new exciting guests. Until then, take care and have a great week.